and not being able to identify suitable and real alternatives that one could really call responsible beyond any marketing and greenwashing effort, I thought that perhaps as a designer, I needed to play a role in that sense. Hey, welcome to Green Canvas. My name is Toby Carpenter, and this podcast is all about creative individuals helping to tackle the climate and environmental crisis through their work. We'll be talking to a wide range of creative practitioners, from designers working with sustainable materials to artists and photographers exploring global warming. We'll learn more about their work, how they use their skill sets for positive environmental change, and also what tips they have for you to utilize your own creativity and help the world build the sustainable future our planet needs. So stay tuned, and I hope you enjoy and find Green Canvas useful. This episode marks the final episode of season one of Green Canvas. And before we begin, I just want to say thank you for listening. Whether you've listened to just 10 minutes of the season, an episode, two episodes, or all of them, I hope you've enjoyed the content. I'm looking to release the next season sometime in the next two or three months. And I hope you can join me for that too. And if you'd like to get in touch with me with any suggestions, feedback, or guests you'd like to see in the next season of the podcast, you'll be able to find my contact details in the show notes. And I hope you enjoy this episode of Green Canvas too. And thank you once again for tuning in. Our guest today is Maurizio Montalti, a designer, researcher, educator, entrepreneur, and one of the early pioneers in the development of mycelium-based technologies. Maurizio is the founder of Officina Corpiscoli, a transdisciplinary studio with an extensive focus on the design and production of natural biomaterials. His studio's work is exhibited globally in institutions like New York's Museum of Modern Art, Paris's Pompidou Centre, and the Design Museum in London. Maurizio is also the co-founder, chairman, and research and development director at Mogu, an environmentally conscious design company dedicated to the creation of high-performance solutions and products such as acoustic wall panels and flooring, all derived from mycelium. For those of you who haven't come across mycelium before, it is essentially the living root structure of mushrooms. And over the last decade, mycelium has come to the forefront of biodesign as a potentially revolutionary material that can reduce our reliance on petroleum-based plastics and other unsustainable materials. Today, mycelium is being used to create biodegradable packaging, leather-like textiles, plant-based meats, and of course products like the acoustic wall panels and flooring that Maurizio is working on at Mogu. If you'd like to see some of Maurizio's work, we've added a couple of links in the show description that will take you to some of the projects we speak about in this episode. And so without further ado, here's our conversation, and I hope you enjoy the episode. I read that you studied industrial engineering and management before later studying a second master's in conceptual design. And I'm interested to hear why you later decided to move into the world of design. When did the appreciation and your love of design come into your life? Did it come later on during your course in, in engineering and management? Thanks for the question. It's, it's quite a layered story, also a bit of a personal nature. But uh, let's say that uh, my, my ultimate passion has always been uh, for design, nevertheless, for a set of different circumstances. Uh, I was encouraged uh, to, to study engineering and uh, I was happy to do so at the time. Nevertheless, it's never been uh, my ultimate passion at that time, particularly. 
And yet I can see the benefits deriving from that type of uh, uh, study and absorbed notions and overall background that resonates also with the activities uh, I do today and also on a practical level happen to be very uh, useful um, simply because it, uh, it provided me with access uh, to doors that otherwise I couldn't uh, have been entering easily. However, uh, while studying my ma- for my master in uh, industrial engineering and management in Italy, in Bologna in this case, uh, I had the opportunity to cultivate my passion uh, for design in a more insightful manner, so go, going beyond the superficial fascination I had as a younger kid, uh, by actually engaging with uh, uh, fellows, with friends that were studying design, and therefore developing, you could say, some sort of uh, uncertified, autodidact uh, type of background that allowed me, once graduated from engineering, to keep developing my own projects and eventually applying to different types of uh, uh, master courses at the international level, uh, out of which I selected uh, to go to Eindhoven uh, in the Netherlands for a master at the Design Academy that was called Conceptual Design in Context, which is something a little bit uh, conceptual on its own, means everything and nothing, but it touched upon both interior, identity, um, rather than industrial design, all filtered through, uh, let's say, a more uh, artistic lens as well and more conceptual lens uh, as, uh, uh, you know, trying to look at design as a discipline that is in fact uh, very much animating uh, uh, the cultural discussion and therefore uh, is capable, partly also as art can do, uh, to feed uh, um, a certain type of critical thinking that could promote an advance- advancement of the society uh, we are part of. And so that's uh, how this this uh, commission between the two fields came about. Uh, and interestingly enough, but possibly we'll touch upon it uh, later on, uh, while studying design, I started questioning my own fascination in the first place and I started studying biology. And and so this this background that you have in engineering, how important is it to the type of work that you do now, how important as a framework has it been over the last years with the work that you, you involve yourself in, in now? Well, it's certainly been uh, very important in terms of, uh, let's say, um, uh, baggage uh, and uh, back thinking uh, type of uh, luggage that I could uh, carry, carry with me all the time as it provided me with an approach to uh, you know, developing a project or to understanding the layer complexity that can be found within any existing project, uh, uh, particularly within the framework also, the very pragmatic framework of uh, uh, you know, the commercial world as well, which is very much also what uh, particularly Mogu as a company these days is, is, uh, is uh, touching upon and active in. Uh, at the same time, on a more practical level, it's interesting because, as I mentioned, during my design studies in the Netherlands, uh, I, I um, deliberately decided to deep dive into uh, the world of life sciences uh, and uh, and try to grow and learn uh, about the tools and notions uh, that characterize uh, uh, specifically disciplines related to microbiology and fungal biology. And funnily enough, without having had uh, a Master of Science, uh, hardly anybody at that time would have welcomed me uh, in their lab to feed me uh, with, with the know-how as much as to provide me with the facilities that I essentially needed in order to carry out uh, uh, the ambition that I was targeting at that moment. So your interest in, in fungal biology that came to you whilst you're doing your course in conceptual design, were you essentially self-taught in the world of fungal biology and other forms of biology? Yeah, in a way, in a way you could say so. That Of course, you're never, uh, you're never in your own bubble. Uh, you live out of interdependence. 
so your work and your development is always the fruit of the interaction uh, with others that you encounter on the way. Uh, having said this, uh, it's been uh, uh, definitely quite, uh, uh, quite an insightful uh, uh, enrichment, uh, simply because for me it was key to actually understand better what I was attempting uh, to, to talk about uh, and to examine, to analyze, and eventually to develop through design-driven uh, projects. Uh, however, uh, in order to do so, I had the fundamental necessity to get in touch with matter. Uh, you know, as a designer, uh, I think not only through that fundamental brain uh, that we define as intelligence in human society, uh, but also through other organs, including my hands. And therefore, the fact of uh, actively touching, uh, experiencing, witnessing, observing, learning, listening from directly the microbial actors that I was engaging with was, was a key step. And as a kid, I had a fundamental fascination, of course, like many kids have, uh, you know, with the beautiful morphological manifestations that fungi offer us if we look around, they're talking about mushrooms and their fantastic uh, ways of appearing in many shapes, forms, and colors. Uh, however, I, I barely knew anything about that fundamental kingdom. And uh, uh, somehow it was, it was really important, again, to get acquainted with notions that related both to the practical action of being able to work with living materials, simply because this is not a background that you're provided clearly as part of any engineering or, or design education, while at the same time enriching myself uh, with all the different theoretical notions that are to be found uh, within the design discipline. This in order to create a, a strongly interconnected and transdisciplinary approach that goes beyond only these few disciplines we are mentioning, because eventually many others came in, uh, ranging from, uh, from chemistry, material science, uh, business development, uh, and, and, and you mentioned all the others. I mean, there's many others, and we could also reflect on that if you like. Uh, and therefore, to really be able to determine how to let these different disciplinary fields come together and speak with one another. Here mentioning, of course, the fundamental um, aspect of language, uh, which is not to be taken for granted when thinking about uh, uh, different experts uh, attempting uh, to communicate with one another. And what was it about my stadium that drew you to it and attracted you as a, a field of study and as an essential part of the sort of products that you design? And what, what was it about my stadium that drew you to it? And... For listeners that perhaps have never heard of mycelium or, or don't know exactly what it is, what is mycelium? Yeah, well, to a certain extent, it was a, a fairly unexpected encounter. This simply because when I started uh, deep diving in fungi, that happened uh, because of a project that I was developing that dealt with more, one could say, philosophical questions that relate, uh, uh, in this case, specifically to the complementarity between uh, life and death. Death as a notion and uh, as a fact that uh, we humans uh, still uh, hardly seem to be able to accept uh, as something also beautiful and uh, essentially and fundamentally complementary to life. And yet coming uh, with that burden, of course, of an emotional uh, uh, feedback uh, that, that uh, we are provided with in the moment in which we encounter the loss of a beloved one. However, at the time I was looking at really at uh, how uh, dull to a certain extent our Western culture reveals itself when neglecting, again, the interdependency between life and death and the fundamental beauty that can be found in processes of decomposition and 
uh, transformation and therefore regeneration when looking also at our body, so organic elements, but also about uh, um, looking at uh, uh, synthetic uh, uh, man-made polymers that uh, could be reinserted in the, in the cyclicity that should characterize every existing thing. And we as humans tend to uh, very much, uh, uh, again, disregard and be afraid uh, of death, but also of microbial systems. Uh, funnily enough, and uh, if you if you actually, I'm here making big jumps, but of course, if you actually try and look at the fundamental role that microbes play in uh, making us alive, uh, in a, in making us humans ultimately, and in enabling a series of processes that uh, uh, allow us also to to thrive, uh, it was quite interesting and inevitable to to stumble upon the fundamental role of fungi in the ecosystem. So just a, a very, very short peel about fungi and their biology. Fungi, first of all, are a kingdom on their own. And yet nowadays still some people think about fungi as plants. Uh, well, they're not plants. They are actually much closer to humans than to plants, uh, also because of their biological functioning. And what they are responsible for in nature is uh, to undergo different types of processes of uh, uh, transformation and decomposition of both organic and inorganic uh, materials, substrates, say like all the dead leaves and dead branches falling down from trees and so on, in order to actually transform those materials in nutrients that can, through the fungal networks, be redistrib redistributed to other life forms, therefore favoring their growth. Uh, so they are the very, very much the masters of, uh, you could say, recycling and regeneration indeed. And they do this by means of a very, very interconnected network uh, of fungal cells. Fungal cells, again, there's many families within the fungal kingdom. But if we look at uh, basidiomycetes, the wood rot uh, fungi, the so-called white rot fungi, uh, they are actually long-stranded cells. They are kind of filaments, but very, very tiny. And uh, we cannot perceive them with the naked eye. We perceive them when they cluster as a bunch of uh, many, many thousands of, of microfilaments, and they become this uh, this uh, uh, fluffy substance, this white manifestation that we can witness also on that uh, that plant matter, which we call mycelium. And mycelium ultimately is this interconnected network. Uh, you could say uh, actually the first internet ever invented, the, the internet of the natural world, which connects. Uh, not only information across all living beings and all life in the soil, but also distributes all different types of nutrients through the soil. Therefore, without fungi to come to, to in short, there the, the would not be uh, the world as we know it, as they are key enablers for allowing pro for processes of communication to effectively place among uh, different uh, agents, from microbes to more macro agents like uh, insects and the likes. And particularly uh, root, uh, the tree roots. And in terms of mycelium's role in helping push forward a sustainable future for our planet, why can it have such an important role in in doing so? What makes it so special? Oh well, we have a lot to learn from fungi and and from mycelium. Uh, the sky is the limit when it comes to the opportunities that these uh, fantastic uh, uh, tiny systems can provide us. And I say tiny, but they are not really tiny. Indeed, actually, uh, the biggest organism on Earth to date uh, is a fungus and is an armillaria species that is to be found in the forest of Oregon that occupies uh, um, quite a large amount of hectares. 
And uh, so the fungus is an individual, but also multiplicity at the, at the same time. Uh, when we look at the fungi, we can, uh, and we think about the different uh, opportunities uh, that, that uh, we are offered, that we can look at them at many different levels. On a meta level, we can look at them as mentors in the sense that if we reflect and observe attentively the, the relational uh, uh, dynamics characterizing fungi colonies, we could actually uh, derive quite some important learnings that could help us advance uh, in terms of our societal organization. And we yet have plenty to learn, apparently, as we are very, very slow learners as a species. Uh, and nevertheless, on a mo in more practical terms, also in this case, the sky is the limit. Uh, and not even the sky is the limit, um, but we'll perhaps we'll come to that. Simply because, again, fungi have been uh, um, employed as uh, key agents for, for instance, uh, um, the, the, the creation of food. This is uh, in multiple traditions across the globe, uh, and we are talking about centuries-old traditions, particularly if we think about Scandinavian countries uh, rather than uh, we think about uh, the, the, the Far East uh, from China, uh, to Korea, to Japan, uh, to Thailand, uh, and, and so on and so forth, uh, fungi have been a key, um, a key agent that enabled processes of fermentation and uh, uh, for the creation of different types of uh, foods that are still to be found in these traditions. And yet, fungi are at the forefront of, uh, um, the, of, re of the revolution that took place in the medical field. If we think about... Uh, uh, the very first antibiotics that were developed, uh, and uh, we think here about uh, penicillin, of course, uh, that derives from uh, penicillin, and it was the, the result of a very unexpected encounter. Uh, well, that was, in fact, a fungus that revealed being capable of being very um, skillful, again, in contrasting the death, dreadful action of uh, uh, certain types of bacteria. And yet nowadays, uh, if we look at medicines uh, and antibiotics, uh, a lot of the compounds syn being synthesized today are deriving initially from fungi. And if we look in industrial biotechnology, they are ever present in our daily life. So fungi can be, the products of fungal fermentation can be found in countless products from uh, the, your washing powder or washing liquid containing citric acid that doesn't come from lemons or oranges, but comes from uh, the fermentation of fungi in big tanks. And two, actually, the opportunity of developing, for instance, different types of uh, uh, materials, uh, as we do nowadays, for multiple applications, different markets, different fields, tackling, therefore, the impact uh, that our mm, disgraceful material culture of the past decades has created uh, and that we are in a, a fundamental urgency to remediate. Uh, and I'm here concluding, uh, however, of course, if we look beyond, fungi uh, are being experimented on, and they are not yet tangible facts, but definitely very tangible um, scientific uh, researches ongoing in relation to uh, the possibility of uh, uh, employing living agents uh, as computational agents. As in fact, uh, already at these days, uh, already we are developing uh, um, fungi computers, you could say to a certain extent. So at some point, silica, uh, and glass uh, and sand uh, will actually mm, get outdated simply because the computational capacity of a living system goes far beyond what you can achieve uh, with the amazing developments that we achieved with the miniaturization of all devices uh, with current technologies. And are there various different types of mycelium? Does it differ from species to species of, of fungi? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> there is an entire, a, a gigantic diversity in the fungal kingdom. So it is estimated, uh, and there are different, uh, the, the different data that one can find, but let's say that out there in nature, and of course, when we refer to nature, we should be always careful because it's a very delicate notion. Uh, so I'm not here talking about nature in any romantic term. Uh, but in nature, we, we estimate having uh, between four and five uh, million of fungi out there, of which we know a fraction, something more than a hundred thousand. And saying that we know them means that they have been described partly. Uh, but partly described doesn't mean that we know them. We are very presumptuous uh, as human society in willing to control biology, pretend to understand things, but we should also humbly accept our limits because we have yet a lot to unravel. And when it comes to specific, again, species are countless, as I said, but then within each species, there are strains. It's like saying uh, uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, they have exactly the same name. Uh, however, uh, despite the same name, they can uh, fundamentally differ in their uh, genetics. So just to give you an example, uh, consider that uh, among two species of, uh, let me mention one, Schizophilum commune, that is a very, very well-known fungus, uh, uh, and it's a so-called workhorse in the scientific world, there, are, there can be up to 12% genetic difference. And they are exactly called the same name. 12% uh, of genetic difference is a big difference. If you think about the fact that between men and ape and chimps, it is a, there is something around 2% of genetic difference, and we are a little different in it. Uh, so th that gives you a little bit of an understanding of how uh, key it is for each specific strain that you engage with and that you decide to work with and, and to employ as part of your processes. You need to uh, accurately gather a thorough understanding of what uh, uh, his likes, what's his taste, what's his most favorable conditions for growing, and how such conditions might influence the, the, the metabolic products, let's say the products that are secreted along its growth, and that will inform the properties of the application that you're targeting. This, simply to say, is not an easy job, and yet it's a very exciting one. And I've got I've got many more questions about my study, but I wanted to to talk about. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. By the way, Officina Copescori. That's pretty. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to talk a bit about what it is for listeners that don't that don't know, and how and why did it get started. Sure. I mean, Corpuscoli was born uh, as a spontaneous continuation of the investigations that I conducted as part of my, my master thesis when I was studying design. And so I, I basically opened up this, uh, um, this field for, for, for my interest at that time. And without any hesitation, as soon as, as I graduated, if not the day after, a couple of days after, I was at the Chamber of Commerce and, and registering the company. Simply because the, the aim was from the beginning, uh, having had the opportunity to deep dive into the, the kingdom of fungi and to start raising a number of critical questions, was the fact of being able to further expand on some questions by tackling uh, those at multiple levels through different research-based, design research-based projects at the intersection with other disciplines and through different, uh, again, materialization processes and therefore manifestations as artifacts, as installations and so. So being active in that sense, very much in the cultural realm uh, and therefore engaging a bit with that privileged audience, which is the cultural audience, which is certainly not the majority of the global population. Uh, Corpuscoli started uh, with the intent of, uh, again, uh, not necessarily providing solutions, 
but showing the opportunities that are to be encountered when embracing the fundamental and understanding the fundamental role of microbial systems uh, uh, in the world we are in, but also as a, as a direct reaction and in some ways as a provocation to the design field itself. Simply because as a designer, uh, the, if you will, uh, the, exactly that type of wish to develop a certain uh, unorthodox project, which, which was dealing with the funeral industry, with death, with decomposition, which is usually not the the most, uh, um, let's say, interesting topics for designers that wish to appear on the covers of glossy magazines. Uh, well, the, 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 I felt that there was the need to show how this encounter between disciplines needed to be fostered. And I can guarantee uh, that at the time it was very, very difficult. We're talking something more than a decade ago. Uh, so not long ago, but it was incredibly difficult to gain the trust of the scientific community and to gain the trust even of the design community, uh, and it's still nowadays, while at the same time addressing the, the key responsibility that the design industry has and that designers as individuals have in being res partly responsible for uh, the situation in which we're in. So I, I believe design to be a catalyzer on its own, and to hold an enormous responsibility because fundamentally as an individual and as a designer, I just didn't want to contribute to insert in the market more products embedding a multiplicity of irresponsible compounds that outlive the life of the product itself. And therefore, uh, finding myself in a workshop constantly working with the most traditional materials and being frustrated by that and not being able to identify suitable and real alternatives that one could really call responsible beyond any marketing and greenwashing effort, I thought that perhaps as a designer, I needed to play a role in that sense. And this is where this experimentation started. And this is where many questions started to come up and appear to be appreciated for then again leading me and conducting me to instead uh, subverting the type of uh, ent almost anti-design, some people define it as such, approach, which was a, a sort of design away perspective. So not the idea to make new things, but actually to work for getting rid of things and then eventually transforming that approach into something more pragmatically constructive. And where, where does this, where does your philosophy and approach to design come from? So your, your philosophy when it comes to not wanting to be another designer that creates products that are just a part of this mass consumerist society and perhaps don't have any real important function and your desire to research into mycelium and other alternatives to help push forward products and ideas that have more of a social and ethical value. Where does this approach come from was it through books that you read or your life experiences or just uh, thinking in, in your room and just deciding to go ahead definitely what you just mentioned um, as a premise if i look at uh, how the majority of the global population still nowadays and that changes depending on of course uh, the individual on the culture of the place and so on on the geography uh, but uh, how people think about design when you mention that word, people mostly think about aesthetic and formal exercises. Uh, and design, uh, uh, luckily, is much more than that. There is also that component, certainly, but not only that. Um, now, um, certainly, a lot of encounters uh, have informed my personal sensitivity, which uh, is what Officina Corpuscoli and eventually all the follow-up projects um, are based on. So the, 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 a strong resonance 
and an, an interest for understanding the functioning of the larger ecosystem and our role as humans and as individuals within it, while at the same time uh, trying uh, to, to really uh, be, be able to provide, not necessarily at the start, some solutions, but to favor a sort of cultural growth that would allow for that uh, the, the, the actual uh, interdependence uh, uh, to be achieved, which is something that is not the case these days. If I have to refer to great classics, I can, uh, I, I can go back in time and think about uh, a very important publication being the one from Viktor Papanek back in the 70s. Design for the real world. The real world. That was a, 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 an absolutely game changer for me. Uh, because as, as a kid, I was attracted by design, yes, for its formal qualities, yes, for the, for the interest that I had in understanding materials, their functioning, and the ways in which they could be processed. Uh, and particularly, even more, I was attracted, for instance, to go to Eindhoven because of the great dose of storytelling that you can insert in a product, and therefore making the product become some sort of conversation piece that allows for, yes, uh, solving a, a practical type of need and f- functionality, and at the same time, critically uh, offer questions for the ones that want to listen to the questions and that w- are, are capable of going beyond the aesthetic-only type of thing. And, and so this, is, this has definitely been something, uh, um, for me, very important, the idea that design must, can and must, contribute to inform a, a posi- possibly positive evolution of uh, our society, its organization, its functioning, and its respect with all the other societies uh, that we are immersed in. And in terms of your projects with Officina Corpuscoli, what projects are you most proud of and, and why? And in your own words, what are the projects, just so listeners can gauge a picture of the projects in their, in their minds? Right. I mean, it's very difficult for me to make a ranking. Every project uh, uh, exists for a reason, and, and of course, I am affections. Some are, have been more successful besides the outlook and how they've been evaluated by others. But uh, as I consider them, uh, and, and others perhaps uh, have been suffered a little more. Uh, but so to say, uh, certainly I'm very, I'm very, uh, I feel very close to the Growing Lab Mycelia project, as that was. Uh, really the the start uh, uh, of uh, somehow a whole new mentality that eventually got absorbed also by others as uh, and i say it very humbly i really hope not to sound pretentious but uh, somehow it showed how uh, a, a direction that i was um, contributing to pioneer uh, had resonance with many others and has informed the life and actions of many others and this is for me very important, not just uh, uh, for self-esteem, which is uh, use, useless uh, uh, ego exercises, uh, but particularly for, for the fact that I truly believe in what I do. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. And uh, uh, myself only, uh, or the other few that were active at the time, wouldn't be sufficient. So the fact of being able to see the certain type of uh, sensitivity in other minds and spirits is key. Uh, to the change because we are a collective and we must act as such. So this is one reason for which, uh, among various others, for which uh, I really take into into good consideration this project. The other being the fact that it really allowed me to uh, look at uh, um, the, the possibility of appreciating matter for what it is. We are so used to the slickness 
of uh, the materials and products surrounding us in our everyday life, which uh, derive from an obsession with, uh, you know, the fact that things need to need to hold for, for a very long time, despite the fact that then we discard them and they end up in dumps. So, okay, I, longevity is a key principle of sustainability. However, uh, our cultural uh, uh, approach of extracting, uh, manufacturing, uh, commercializing, consuming and disposing is, of course... Uh, a dramatic threat. So, uh, on a certain, on a, from a certain point of view, for me, it was really interesting to look at uh, the qualities that the materials that derive from processes of growth at the very first uh, beginning of my process of experimentation were uh, were characterized from. And I'm talking here about the organic language that the materials uh, are able to speak on their own, and that speaks of the very origin which is a key aspect of the process from which they derive. And even more, this process relies on the valorization of residues, which is not waste. It's stuff that we consider low value. We all keep talking about waste. There is no waste. It's residues that through fungi, through their fundamental skills, we are able to valorize and transform. It's some sort of alchemy uh, to transform into value by means of processes of decomposition. So if you think about that, the creation of value activated by decay, it's quite a a stimulating type of approach. And of course, it encompasses a lot of different uh, reflections uh, on a more more philosophical level too. And yet I could mention many more projects, of course, uh, uh, but I stop here for now. And we mentioned Mogu earlier at the beginning of this interview, but I wanted to ask, what is Mogu in your own words and how and why was Mogu founded? Sure. Now, as I told you, uh, Officina Corpuscoli, since its beginning, has been active and is still very active, uh, uh, mostly in what I define the cultural realm. So, yes, it's within the design discipline, but that depends how the design discipline is intended in every specific geography. Uh, of course, there is a certain design culture in the Netherlands, uh, where Officina Corpuscoli is based, or in the UK, or in other European countries. However, there are countries, even major countries, such as the United States, that still find it difficult to consider, um, let's say, conceptual design or, or design that goes beyond just function as something uh, acceptable within the field. So that's always an interesting debate. And it's also a bit, let me say, sorry, a bit of a useless debate uh, in that kind of questioning uh, what is art and what is design. The two can be mingled. And in fact, it's a a nuance uh, of uh, the many practices that are to be found inside of the design field. However, as a a, uh, design practitioner with Officina Corpuscoli, um, this interaction with the cultural elite became a frustration because I was able to, in fact, deliver very tangible outcomes. My mm, stories were not just stories, were very much materialized in facts. But these facts were and are still these days unique pieces uh, that uh, are, you, you can, call, can call them limited productions uh, that were delivered and also sold or offered to museums, to galleries, and again, to this cultural realm. And I kept going around through lecturing and exhibitions and so on, talking about change and impact uh, and so. And then I kept reflecting about how um, yeah, limited this was ultimately. Because if you want to create an impact, you need to uh, be able to possibly ultimately reach out to the majority of the global population. And, you know, in fact, we are a bit more than that small percentage. We are some uh, uh, seven billions. 
So uh, how to do that? One way for me has been industry. And that's where my life became very complicated, uh, simply because, again, the, the freedom uh, that are, is to be found in Officina Corpuscoli is uh, different from a different type of freedom and different dynamics characterizing the work of an industrial company working at uh, a commercial level. Uh, our ambition with Mogu from the beginning has been the one of uh, being able to standardize protocols uh, relying on fungal fermentation and, uh, and on biological agents in order to be able to effectively industrialize uh, this at scale. So uh, here, when talking about industrialization, inevitably I'm touching upon uh, notions such as uh, the fact of being able to be consistent, so having uh, outcomes that are replicable, and biology is tricky in the terms, rather than uh, being able to provide uh, products that, of course, need to be developed. So which products, uh, which market are you looking at? And again, what's your business strategy? What's your business de development and so on? And particularly to do that at scale also when talking uh, volumes. Uh, and uh, all these few things that I just mentioned, and there would be more, are, may, may sound to some simple. Uh, in fact, they are extremely uh, complicated challenges and exciting challenges at the same time. So this is what Mogu um, aimed for since its beginning. Uh, it started as a technological platform, uh, in some way you could say as a biotech platform, simply because we had the need of developing our own technology. Uh, but this is not what Mogu is today, because Mogu today is an innovation-driven design company, meaning that though as a design company, that strong technological component is essential part of it. Why? Because nobody can provide us with that service. So we create our own technology for developing our own materials that we eventually embed in our own products that we commercialize. So the whole chain is internal, and that makes it uh, uh, nice, but also tremendously layered and uh, uh, at times a little hard. And, and what is your role specifically at Mogu? What are you responsible for on a day-to-day -day basis now? Right. Uh, besides being a founder, of course, uh, in time, uh, I've been having many, many, many multiple roles, many also at interim, like, you know, as in the evolution of any organization, you would wish to have all the resources and knowledge and colleagues that could do certain things. But of course, you go through phases. So I've been basically on top of the company for almost all aspects regarding it uh, until a couple of years back. And uh, to date, uh, I am uh, I, I serve the function of uh, um, chairman of the company, so I'm the president of the company. And as this, I am, of course, uh, a little bit more than a, a director uh, of it. Uh, of course, I have a strong visibility on all aspects of the company and interact uh, with product development uh, as much as with R&D when it comes to composites. Uh, and these are the materials that we use for our actual offering these days. And uh, at the same time, though, we have uh, or have been particularly active in the communication part, and I'm still uh, trying to help uh, uh, colleagues in that sense at times. But my main focus is, in fact, on R&D. So at Mogu, we have uh, uh, a division. Um, it's, it's wrong, perhaps, to call it a division. It's a business line, basically, a business unit on its own, which looks at advanced uh, R&D opportunities. And as part of this, uh, we have a couple of main projects, uh, let's say domains, uh, one of which is related to the development of materials for fashion and beyond. So we are here talking about uh, what out there, and I, and I quote, are defined mycelium leathers, and it's not leather, that's why I quote, 
And uh, so let me call them flexible mycelium-based materials uh, for applications that could be uh, ready to wear in fashion rather than accessories, rather than upholstery uh, when it comes to furniture or to the interior of uh, cars, so automotive. And this is what we are uh, deeply engaged with uh, since uh, at least a couple of years at Mogu. It's something I started back in 2012, 2013 at Corpuscoli. And eventually I internalized, uh, I, I gifted to Mogu. And, uh, and of course, it went way beyond what was at the beginning. And these days uh, we are not only concluding the final steps for our first uh, uh, offering, but uh, also developing a whole uh, uh, important uh, uh, strategy because we have been working actively with big players in the uh, luxury and, and fashion industry. Uh, as much as with many other players in other industries, like the ones we, uh, I, I mentioned. And this is, for me, a very stimulating development because also there, there is so much to do and the opportunities uh, that you are able eventually to deliver, and hopefully soon there will be very exciting news, can really tackle some of the most uh, disgraceful uh, effects that, for instance, the fashion industry is uh, triggering and has been triggering for a long time. So it's very good to see that there is a lot of enthusiasm also in the market in regard to this subject. There's been a wave of announcement in the, in the past few months. Uh, we have been uh, deliberately a little bit more silent. Uh, we like to be very concrete uh, rather than just be sensational for the sake of it. Uh, but uh, at the same time, we are soon hopefully ready to come out. And, and this is, uh, is one of the most stimulating developments in the company. And I'm interested here, but I read a bit about your, your products and the acoustic wall panels and the floor tiles. And I'm interested here a, a bit about those. And also, why did you, as a company, decide to go down more of an interior design route when, of course, the, the possibilities for mycelium are endless in the type of products they can create? And also, what makes these products so much more environmentally friendly than alternatives on the market? In fact, uh, when we started Mogu, um, we didn't have very clear exactly what, what, what we were aiming to uh, in terms of application product. Uh, so initially, as part of our, our business planning exercises, you know, we were a startup. We were some guys very motivated with little financial resources, very little, uh, trying to find a way to make it work. So at the beginning, we started investigating applications uh, uh, initially particularly related to horticulture. Uh, we, we were looking at nurseries uh, and uh, the enormous amount of uh, disposed uh, um, you know, supports like vases, plastic vases, and so on. And so it was very interesting to be developing at the time for the horticultural industry uh, these uh, uh, organic vases that became one thing with the plant, and they worked effectively in terms of functioning. So they could favor and promote a better development of the plant, while at the same time they could become one with it simply because the mycelium and the soil at some point were just coming into into the same thing and so the pot could be transplanted directly in the soil it was interesting from a from a more conceptual point of view but that's not a market that you can uh, tackle as much as you cannot tackle uh, when you are in your uh, genesis in your early phase in your early beginning applications that are uh, of very low value low added value and this is the case, for instance, of packaging. Uh, that is something that we also investigated as some uh, fellows uh, in the States uh, already did before us. And uh, we decided not to go down that route simply because of the same reason. 
Uh, unfortunately, I mean, the application was very centered, uh, if I think about, uh, about uh, the counterpart in the States, uh, and tackling a very, very important issue, the one created the impact, the negative impact and pollution created uh, on all levels uh, uh, in the, on the planet, so particularly in the water, but not only um, due to the impact of EPS, polystyrene, and so on. And these materials can really compete when it comes to properties uh, with uh, traditional uh, polymeric materials such as EPS. But nevertheless, uh, they cannot compete from a cost perspective. So how can you be ready as a young initiative uh, to really, really face the challenge of uh, competing with something that is produced in ridiculous amounts and that costs nothing, when actually your innovation costs much more, inevitably it costs much more, and you have no, val- no, no volumes whatsoever. So again, this is now changing these days because there are some, some entities that are uh, starting again to do this job. And uh, I think perhaps the time now is a little bit more mature and still some of the challenges remain. But what we understood is that we needed to tackle uh, a high added value uh, type of application, not because we want to uh, come to, 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 to the elite and to the, the wealthy ones, but because we need to pass through there in order to come to everybody. And I know it's frustrating for most of people out there. I mean, you can read countless comments also on social networks these days where particularly when thinking about mycelium leather, people get a bit pissed because they're like, oh, yeah, okay, and you're working again with another luxury company. Ah, great. Uh, and I, however, there is a lack of understanding about the fact that in order to, to be able to deliver an innovation, you need so many tools, including financial ones, but not only. And, uh, and these tools must be delivered by somebody. You cannot invent them out of thin air. So you need the support of the Colossus and of the giants, and you need to work with them also in order to change them, uh, which is complex, but it, it works. So as for us, we came to, the, the, to, to uh, define the field of interior design and interior architecture as our uh, preference, also because it resonates very much with a certain background, and uh, uh, because there was nothing done in that direction, and we understood from the uh, first characterization campaigns that we conducted on our materials, we understood some key properties of the uh, low-density composites, one being the one of absorbing the frequencies of speech very effectively. And that was uh, almost direct, okay, acoustic panels. And some others had tried to to prototype uh, this type of application, but they never made it become a product. As, As in fact, to date, there are no such products such as those in the market. And, and one might wonder why. Either we are complete fools or it's just not uh, too easy. Now, why am I saying that in order to, to, to address the fact that a product to be such, to be defined such, needs to deliver what it promises? And this is a little bit what is not always the case when looking at the stories I refer to that you find in the media these days. There are a lot of fantastic sensational announcements and fairly often they do not correspond to reality. They correspond to a vision. Uh, and they're, but they are played with in a way that contributes to confuse, uh, to confusing the, the public. And so it becomes a hoax that results in an, in an illusion first and then in a disillusion, which will discredit the whole field. So that's where we want to be very concrete. And we have a fantastic story on our hand. But on the other hand, first comes the product, comes the way in which it delivers pro- performance, comes uh, the way in which it functions for the the application that it addresses. And then there is all the other fantastic uh, story of regeneration, valorization of waste, circular economy, and and the likes, and biofabrication, and so on, which is very important, but it's not first. And I say this because in order to make a product such, you need certifications. 
Uh, and certifications uh, um, are not to be achieved in a short time. They require a lot of commitment, a lot of repetitions, a lot of financial uh, uh, tools. And eventually, you need to be able, through your technology, to define effective protocols that uh, that certifications will also adhere to. Uh, and uh, this is a bit of the problem these days. I'm super happy to see this multiplicity of products out there and of many enthusiasts coming up and suggesting that something they grew is a product. However, it is not. It's fantastic to define it a prototype, a promise, a tangible vision. However, a product has much more to it. And there is, in fact, this more, uh, again, market-related need, certifications. But there is also really the capacity of knowing what is it. And until you do not develop your own material and you stabilize the process and you understand what the properties of that specific matter are, you cannot determine any type of application because you simply don't know what you're dealing with. Is it particularly difficult to get mycelium-based products legally certified within the regulations that exist? No, no. It's Let's say that, of course, there is uh, definitely the legislation needs to evolve. Uh, and certainly, despite the, the great actions that we see happening these days, including I'm thinking now about the Green Deal, uh, which is, of course, a very important tool, but then you have to see how the governments will make use of it. So on the paper, it looks good. But, mm, let's wait and see. Uh, at the same time, uh, um, let, let's say that there's not a boundary necessarily related to the fact that it's uh, something deriving from a process of growth, what I call biofabrication. Uh, and yet, though biofabrication needs to be uh, thoroughly understood on a, on a more uh, institutional level, when it comes to developing and, uh, and delivering something that is not, for instance, a food product or something that belongs uh, to the biomedical industry. So certainly there, there are improvements that can, that, can be, that can be made, while at the same time, uh, the biggest constraint is that the fact that we cannot offer anything living. And this is not only uh, in line with, of course, the requirements of uh, certifications, uh, simply because, of course, something, as we said, needs to be stable and therefore needs to always deliver the same properties. But it's also going hand in hand with a bit of a, a constraint that we have in terms of cultural approach. Uh, as humans, uh, particularly looking at human culture in the past uh, 100 years or something more, uh, we have developed uh, an attachment uh, to uh, the, the, the fact that things need to, as we said, last. Okay, that is great. But again, the materials, uh, as we said, outlive uh, the, the, the application very often, and this creates problems. Um, now, the, the point is, we are scared of, of, uh, of transformation. We are scared of the surprise and unexpected manifestations that can derive from processes of mutation. That mutation is simply what is happening to everything in every instant, including us. We are constantly transforming. We are constantly growing through stages. And if you want to hear my vision, my vision is that uh, this table on which I'm, which I'm touching now and anything surrounding me tomorrow should be just programmed to have a certain time frame, to live a certain life, and living a life meaning being programmed to death. Instead, we are obsessed with permanence and with eternity, even if we think about ourselves, which is quite funny. But uh, yeah, this is, this, this is definitely a constraint because by actually having the need of uh, um, making our material inert and therefore completely deactivating the biological functioning of the organism, call it, kill it. On a side, you can raise ethical issues that are not uh, perhaps the concern of the industry, 
but also on a more cultural level you can address. It's like, why is it uh, not okay? And believe me, I, I resonate with uh, veganism and all the values related to it, but why is it not okay to kill uh, an animal, a mammal? Uh, and it's okay to kill fungi. I, I, I'm not entirely sure personally, simply because I have a great respect for these microbial agents and they are tremendously intelligent, even if they don't possess a brain. Uh, so this is a more meta question. While, uh, while on the other hand, uh, the, the opportunities that you have when dealing with a living material are really, really, really many. A, a living material can be functionalized uh, and be biologically active uh, to express feedback that could help us. These days, for instance, we are developing a project with other academic partners, so it's Mogu with academic partners, where we are developing fungal architectures, but architectures that are alive, active, and adaptive, and that can provide us with visible feedback in terms of change of morphology, change of colors, so chromatic changes, and so on, informing the quality of the environment in which we are. And of course, this sounds a little bit sci-fi, but I truly believe that in some time, perhaps not tomorrow, we will live and we will be surrounded by objects that benefit from their own life cycles, literally life cycles. And I wanted to, to ask a question, another question about my mycidium and the unique properties that mycidium has. And how do you go about extracting the best out of mycidium instead of treating mycidium? So I think what commonly might happen um, from what I've read that when you're using new materials, sometimes the desire for, for humans is to treat the material, a new material like another material that's already in existence and not, not treat the material for what it is and the unique properties that it has. So how do you go about extracting the best out of mycelium rather than trying to impose mycelium to act like a, another material? Yeah, no, a key aspect, uh, uh, I think that's important to start with. When talking about mycelium materials, we're not talking about the one material. We're talking about a great multiplicity of materials. It's like saying that plastic is one. Well, that would be wrong. Uh, so here to say that uh, uh, that is where the art of growing uh, mycelium-based materials is, the fact of knowing how you could couple the different ingredients uh, uh, which I, I'm going to mention in, in a second, uh, in order to obtain a certain result. So start from the fungus. As we said, there are so many and they are so different. So choose yours because it has certain qualities that you have been studying. Maybe because it grows quickly, because it grows homogeneous, because it grows without a certain pigmentation as you're looking for, for uniformity or whatever other aspect. Once you have identified your fungus, what's the nutrition? So what's the residual feedstock? What's the, the substrate, the, the plant matter uh, that I'm going to offer to it as a mix that satisfies its diet? Uh, and that's not banal. There's a little bit of experimentation. Again, one can find, can find his way. And then, well, you need to create the right conditions for growth. So, uh, of course, there is a certain degree of cleanness uh, that can be also to a high degree, call it sterility at times. So in which conditions do you need to operate? Plus, once you have inoculated and started the growth, so to say, in which condition that growth take place. And here I'm talking about parameters such as uh, humidity, temperature, pH, uh, gas exchange, oxygen, CO2 exchange. Uh, very, very important aspects that completely change the nature of the resulting material, together with the strain, together with the, with the substrate, and together with the post-treatments. So you understand that you have a multiplicity, many, too many, parameters that you, you need to play with, 
And the art is in knowing that if I tackle that one specific parameter, one at a time, otherwise you have no idea of what you're doing, I am going to have this effect as an outcome. And so this to say that you can create already raw materials, 100% organic, 100% natural, 100% biodegradable, 100% compostable, that are though already technically very interesting. And yet you might need, and mostly often you need, to add some other technology too. Why is that? Because we all, it, it's, quite, it's quite controversial. If you look also really at the commercial world, uh, everybody out there is looking for the 100% responsible stuff. And yet nobody wants to give up uh, his, uh, his uh, affection to eternity. So uh, we pretend uh, uh, that uh, uh, 100% organic material behaves like a polycarbonate. No, that is not possible. And mostly, most likely, it will never be possible. So either we change, we, we go through a cultural shift, or we need to make some compromise. Then the point is, to which extent can a compromise be acceptable? I, make it, I try to make it clear with an example. Take a piece of wood, untreated. It's an organic material. You put it out in the garden. It's going to be subjected to whatever, UV radiation, uh, and then there is humidity, trains, there's insects. Uh, uh, it will degrade those fungi. It will just decompose. That's actually what happens to my pieces when I'm not satisfied. I put them in the garden and they become soil. Uh, so they are not long-lasting if put in the condition to degrade. However, they can be very long-lasting depending on the application. I have uh, objects that have been developed in 2012 here. They are as they were in 2012. And they are not under a case or anything. They're just here. Uh, so it's on a side, it's about how do you conserve things if you are meant to conserve anything. And that's yet another question. But when it comes to uh, enhancing uh, the, the performance of a material for delivering uh, what a certain product requires, of course, you need to couple other technologies. And then the point is, am I relying, as you say, on the, on the most well-known traditional technologies out there? Well, no, most, most hopefully no. You have to either look for the most responsible offering or you have to develop your own. And that's the second, what we do at Mogu. Uh, we basically, I give you the example of our uh, flooring solutions, which are resilient flooring tiles and systems. Well, it started from the fact that we achieved a fantastic composite, which is a high-density composite, which uh, surpasses the qualities of traditional engineering wood, MDF, OSB, and so on. And yet it doesn't contain any formaldehyde or any plastic or oil-derived products. It's all 100% organic materials. And it's a hard board. But of course, I mean, you have to think about the floor. You step on it, it's subjected to different stresses and the heels, and then there is uh, the, something like uh, some chemical maybe going on the floor or it gets stained and so on. So you have to deliver something that can withstand that type of stress. And for doing that, in that case, we developed our own formulation of uh, a bio-based, not bio, and, and that's it, a bio-based PU, which, uh, uh, of course, I, we like to be as explicit and honest about it as possible. We need to be transparent in order to counteract all that uh, strange amount of information that is to be found out there. Uh, and uh, being transparent means it is 90% biological uh, in terms of biological contents and origin. The other 10% is not. And yet it is a very, very, for me, a positive incremental step because there is nothing out there as such. 
mostly often when you look at bio-based products, depending on the category uh, in which they are applied, and of course there are regulations in the EU and beyond, they sometimes have biological contents up to 20%, which is nothing. So even putting the suffix bio in front is uh, uh, wrong by definition. And this is what also contributes to this confusion. So uh, it's about tending to the optimum and uh, making compromises on the way may you consider such compromises acceptable and not uh, completely jeopardizing your values in order not to stop there, but in order to continue the travel and actually to move on steadily uh, ever more towards that optimum that ultimately you are targeting. And yet we cannot wait for that optimum. So this applies to the example of the floor as much as to the finishing that we give to our panels that are fire retardants, uh, naturally, but that's not sufficient for the commercial world. They need to be in, in category BS1. And our panels are in category BS1 because we identified a solution that is natural, that allows them to be in that category and therefore to resist uh, uh, to fire in a much better way. A normally grown mycelium-based product in its raw state couldn't go in a restaurant or in a retail or in an office. So these are sound like small things, but they're really significant. And the same happens also with the leather-like materials, where there are analogies to the tanning industry, but we are not tanning. Certainly, we are not tanning with chrome-based compounds. Uh, we are we use responsible chemistry. There is chemistry involved, inevitably, in order to transform a raw material into something more uh, that can be more easily accepted also by the industry in terms of manufacturing opportunities. The, so there is an analogy, but it's not uh, the technology that is applied to another raw material. It's inevit inevitably different because the main constituents of uh, um, mycelium-based materials are different. Example, in the case of leather, you have collagen. In the case of mycelium, you have chitin. They are two completely different compounds on a chemical level, and therefore they need different reagents. And are there any other materials that you think can be as, as revolutionary as mycelium? Any other new materials that have maybe come into trend in the last five or 10 years that can be as important as mycelium coming into the future and helping to push forward sustainable future? Are there any other materials that make you feel as excited as you do about mycelium? Well, it's difficult to get more excited than <laughs> But no, I'm kidding. Uh, definitely, there is a multiplicity of materials and innovations uh, happening out there. So it is indeed uh, literally an ecosystem of materials, the one that is materializing these days. Uh, nicely enough, uh, we also, thanks to the initiative of, uh, of uh, uh, fellow and colleagues uh, uh, from other companies, we are also able to come together and to inform each other. Uh, so there is also a community that has been, is, is still being created, revolving around such type of disruptive innovation uh, uh, processes and products. Uh, of course, I mean, there's many, if I look at the, at the uh, biofabricated materials as the result of uh, processes involving uh, biologically active microbial system, systems, there's, we can, of course, not ignore bacteria. Uh, and I'm thinking about uh, fantastic companies uh, uh, that are developing solutions for the building industry, for instance, uh, when it comes to deliver uh, something that like the brick, for instance, that requires much less energy than uh, uh, the way the bricks are traditionally made. Uh, and uh, well, different, of course, no, no, no harmful 
um, compounds that are also uh, scarce uh, on the planet uh, evermore. On the other hand, I can look at, well, and therefore you can look at the, at the self-healing properties of these materials. So the capacity of a material to have agency and, uh, and self-repair. Uh, may there be any kind of uh, crack or stress uh, in, a, in a structure. Rather than you can think about uh, algae, there's a lot of interesting uh, um, developments also in that field. So algal cells can be played with. You can think about mammal cells uh, and tissue culturing. They're, it's a little complicated uh, to imagine it yet at scale, but there's a number of initiatives that are looking at the possibility of playing, so to say, uh, with cells uh, uh, in order to mm, be able to grow tissue. There are countless, uh, countless uh, uh, opportunities out there and they will all together contribute. So it's not about mycelium comes first. Uh, they will all, all participate together in enabling that revolution that we so strongly uh, strive for. Uh, that re-evolution in some way. Um, but at the same time, uh, unexpectedly enough, uh, when I started working on this, this was not the objective, fungi and mycelium are uh, uh, on, the, on the main stage these days, uh, simply because, uh, not because it's easier to work with them, but because they attracted and fascinated uh, many actors. Uh, they started in time resonating also with uh, the messaging of the media, uh, which for the good or for the bad, uh, yes, also positively contributes to inform uh, global audiences, sometimes a bit in a deceiving way, but uh, nevertheless, it's good that the word is going around. Uh, and at the same time, because they are uh, mycelium-based materials and technologies, they are perhaps the ones, the more advanced ones in terms of being able to deliver on the shortest term something yet already tangible and that could already be applied. And having said this, I do not want to appear presumptuous also here in saying that we are so advanced. I mean, that's what we are presumptuous enough in believing. We have done a lot and we have been developed a lot of things. We, as much as our competitors, uh, which are I don't like to define as such, actually, uh, but other counterparts, while at the same time, uh, we are at the very beginning of uh, a biotechnological revolution that if accepted first by industry and then by the global community, we really contribute to uh, a fundamental shift. We just have plenty to learn still. That's basically the message. I'm aware of your time, so I've only got two, about two more, two more questions I'd like to ask. Are there any, in terms of advice for other creative practitioners, are there any great books or, or resources that you'd recommend that, may have been particularly helpful for your own work and your own research into mycelium or any any books that you'd recommend young designers that want to shape their their work around helping to push forward a more sustainable future are there any anything you'd recommend yeah well if i think about this uh, very specific subject uh, the one of mycelium uh, there are a few publications that i would recommend uh, certainly first and foremost the mushroom at the end of the world and not because uh, by Anat Singh, uh, I have uh, mm, great respect for, uh, for, for her as a researcher and for that specific work she delivered, simply because now it's not a book that is going to explain you uh, about how to grow mycelium materials. No, that's not the point. But uh, it uh, conducts you through the fundamental interdependence uh, uh, and the different agencies that are to be found uh, within a natural system of which we are part, and uh, it actually counteracts on uh, 
that uh, very superficial notions that sometimes characterize us when thinking about the humans as disruptive uh, uh, actors uh, that create problems and that's it. Actually, uh, as we said, nature is not this romantic and still entity uh, in its uh, complete uh, con continuous harmony. No, na nature is turbulent, it's continuously changing, it's continuously transforming, evolving. And disruption is part of it. And the disruption we create can be very beneficial to certain agents, including fungi. In our case, Tsing, uh, uh, of course, uh, discusses the role of uh, uh, Matsutsake uh, fungi. And, and the way in which this type of organism enabled uh, the actions of uh, um, different types of communities uh, that had to flee their own, uh, the, their own respective countries and it enabled a certain economy and the dynamics that happen between uh, you know the relation to be found in in our human economy and in the ecological economy so it really talks about interdependence and connection and it contextualizes this within the functioning of a complex system which personally i fully resonate with and i couldn't have written any better than the way miss singh has been doing Uh, another uh, good reference, of course, it's Entangled Life by Marilyn Sheldrake, which is a, a relatively recent publication that uh, for me was very funny to read about, uh, to, to read, simply because you read it and you find yourself. It's like, yeah, these are the things I've been discussing for so long now, for many years, and yet it's been really good in pinning down with a total competence as a mycologist about the subject and a total fascination on also other levels that go beyond science, but bring in also a certain uh, set of interests that you might have on a personal level and spiritual, spiritual aspects too, uh, that are significant, again, for understanding really more about this kingdom. And yet when you would have to go through practicals, definitely the only way is to encounter the matter. So let it be through a workshops or because you are particularly motivated to start on your own and to join some group. There is so much information that can be found online these days compared to 10 years ago, where still growing mushrooms, not myceliums, Mycelium, and for me, it, it started from growing mushrooms, uh, was a secret art that was passed from generation to generation. There was no publication. There was not this wealth of information that is available these days. And this is interesting because uh, somehow it already demonstrates the, the democratization of uh, uh, certain techniques, uh, how this democratization can open up really multiple paths to innovation. Of course, if referring to other types of books which do not specifically talk mycelium, but maybe uh, analyze more our relational existence in the world uh, uh, that we define as reality, there are very interesting writings. Uh, and here I'm just mentioning because they, are, they have been significant for me in my, in my early stage development. Uh, and I'm thinking about, uh, for instance, Friti of Capra, who's uh, uh, a professor uh, uh, from Black Mountain Uh, who wrote about, uh, well, many books, I'm mentioning just a couple now, uh, The Web of Life. So again, we're talking interconnection, and you understand how fundamental it is, for me at least, to understand interconnection as a key element that animates eventually the interest for fungi, simply because they are the mycelium, they are the connectors. Uh, while at the same time, uh, another one being the Tao of Physics, which demonstrates that uh, it's, it's not the most easy reading, Uh, but it demonstrates somehow that uh, the goal uh, pursued by sci the scientific discipline uh, is uh, uh, ultimately going through different methodologies, of course, is ultimately not so 
different uh, um, with, uh, with what we can encounter when uh, facing things from a more inner perspective. And uh, this is, for me, very, very stimulating because, of course, you can perhaps find yourself in that uh, and uh, derive from that the fact that uh, your understanding of things happen from very pragmatic, uh, practice-driven experiences, but ever more through a sensitivity and a set of information that is just already contained as you, as a package, and that you just actually have to dig for. You sound like great books. And is there is there any advice you'd give to designers that perhaps want to enter the world of my my city and biodesign? And any any general advice? Sure. Yeah, I would say first and foremost, be brave and be be, be courageous. Anybody that might tell you that it's an easy way to go, uh, well, no, it's not. So if you are not ready to for challenges, if you are not ready to make sacrifices, if you are not ready to put uh, your heart in your hand, you probably don't want to go down this route. Uh, simply because it's an emerging field. Again, uh, it's still being pioneered. Um, there are complexities to be faced, uh, complexities that n- do, not only regard, uh, um, do not only regard the technology on its own, again, one could also source it maybe these days from somebody, but nevertheless, uh, uh, that are related also to the whole uh, intricacy of the commercial world, to ownership, uh, uh, and, uh, and to such aspects, which are, of course, dear also to designers. But most than everything, it's important to consider that if you are a designer used to publish uh, and present uh, uh, countless products, and I'm thinking here about the, the old uh, uh, way of, uh, of conceiving the designer as somebody receiving royalties from companies, which is hopefully outdated by now, uh, as it's not very favorable to the designer himself necessarily. But, uh, well, that's not what's going to happen if you decide to deep dive into this field. Uh, patience is needed. Uh, there is no uh, certainty for any result. So that is also the beauty of it. Be ready to fail. But failing doesn't mean stopping. Failing is always an opportunity for learning. So be ready to accept and embrace learning from that failure. And that means be ready to accept the fact that it might take time to come where you want to come. And I can tell you just as a matter of fact, because also my personal idea, despite having already worked with mycelium uh, since some years when I started Mogu, I thought things would move on much quicker. No, they don't. It's an innovation journey. It's full of obstacles. It's full of complexities. And yet this is not what should stop anybody from, from uh, uh, going towards it and, and, and be part of it. Uh, but just one is to be aware uh, about the fact that uh, it's not something that you start with and that tomorrow gives you certainty. So if you're ready to embrace un- uncertainty, be ready to embrace fungi. <laughs> and that should be a quote uh just like <laughs> on a wall or something like that i can imagine that and is there anything i've missed any any last words of of wisdom you'd like to depart on any last words to to listeners i don't know if i if i'm capable of offering words of wisdom but uh, uh certainly i think uh, ultimately besides this very specific uh, analysis that uh, again relies and revolves upon the the key role of fungal agents uh, uh, ultimately, it's not just about fungi. I, I think I mentioned it uh, several times during our dialogue now, but uh, it's about uh, understanding how fantastically interconnected all uh, that we are part of is. And if only we are able to actually uh, step out of that nonsensical 
uh, idea of uh, culture being separated from nature, if we realize that every action and everything characterizing the functioning of our society is part of nature, that allows us to also resonate literally uh, and encounter all that, uh, that uh, we usually say surrounds us. No, all that we are immersed in. We are immersed in such a joyful network of life. Uh, that is full of dynamics that are also quite violent, actually. It's not also so, so beautiful. Uh, it's also painful, but that's uh, always part of it, isn't it? Uh, but, uh, so the, the, the fact of opening up to uh, enter the type of relation changes your way of existing in this world. And despite the fact that you will need still to come down with your uh, feet on the ground, because <laughs> on a daily basis, there's a bunch of, issues and practicalities and things that you need to deal with, I think it's fundamental to never forget that experience that you might have once encountered or more than once and to be able to reenact it and to repurpose it for yourself so ne- to, to, to keep it very much uh, uh, alive and active as a main driver for that, that, that fundamental change that you're targeting. Well, um, I want to say thank you for your time. It's been great to talk to you and hear all your thoughts and all of your your knowledge. It's been great for me to listen and I'm sure for listeners to hear about what you've had to say. So I'd like to say thank you. Thank you, Toby. Thanks so much for having me and thanks to everybody for listening.